Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I am Ted Berg. I am joined in Zoom conference, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, the Mets have won a couple, uh, won one, lost one since we spoke, uh, some tight games in, in Arizona. Um, but the big news to me, um, and, and something that only became clear in the late innings of Wednesday's game, is that the Mets now have a guy named Travis Blankenhorn on the team, and he wears number <laughs> 73. Yeah, Travis Blankenhorn, who they claimed uh, off waivers from the Mariners because they got tired of the Mariners claiming all of their players on waivers. Uh, infielder, left-handed hitter. This is his fourth organization this season. He's been with the Twins, the Dodgers, Seattle, and now the Mets. Uh, really, I, that's always a hard situation for a guy to be in that kind of DFA purgatory. Mm-hmm. Like, you're good enough to get claimed, but not good enough to stick. And it, it's really hard uh, to stay fresh, to get at bats, because you're just switching teams every fifth day or something like that. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll see how he's able to, to handle it. And he might be playing uh, a little bit larger role because of the day-to-day injury to Jonathan VR, who had hamstring tightness on Wednesday. So uh, it wouldn't be... Uh, crazy if if Blankenhorn got a start in San Diego uh, this weekend. My understanding of it is that Zach Scott, as we know, a, uh, a virtuosic harmonica player, had taken a look at the at the at the Mets injury list and was was just playing the blues and you know became <laughs> uh, frustrated with the limitations of that instrument, like changing keys and and dynamics, and said, you know, just sort of screamed out. Get me a Blankenhorn. <laughs> it's funny I de- because I saw I saw where you were going with that. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry. I apologize. And I think, and this is never a place you really want to be, like in terms of in terms of jokes. But I think uh, some credit goes to Chris Berman on that joke. <laughs> so because uh, he was uh, Lance O'Darn, I sunk my Blankenship was a was a classic Chris Berman uh, joke of your. Um, the Mets have. Maybe their toughest series of the season coming up. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd you'd probably have to say uh, a four game weekend series uh, where you're missing a lot of pieces against a team that uh, I believe is tied for the best record in base. Uh, no, they're behind San Francisco. Sorry, San Francisco uh, has the best record in, in the National League and in baseball. I believe going into uh, play Thursday, but the Padres uh, have played very well. Played really well in the last week. I guess they've fallen off just a little bit. Uh, but you know, a very good a team everyone expected to be very good, a team that is very good, uh, a team that's going to be throwing its its good starting pitchers against the Mets. They're they're getting you Darvish, they're getting Joe Musgrove, they're getting Blake Snell, who has not pitched as well this season, uh, but is still a, a supremely talented pitcher uh, and a left-hander to boot. Uh, so it, it's going to be uh, a, an interesting test these next two weeks for the Mets. They've got four in San Diego this weekend. They get a little bit of a, a reprieve with uh, a pair of days off around a two-game set in Baltimore next week. Uh, against the the worst team in the American League. Uh, and then it's a homestand where it's three against the Padres, four against the Cubs. Again, two teams that are well above 500, two teams that have played uh, really good baseball over the last month or so. Uh, you know, the Mets are 2-10 and ten against teams that are over 500 currently. They got swept by Chicago in Chicago, uh, swept by Boston, swept by Tampa. Uh, they have not played their best against good teams. They haven't had many opportunities to at this point. Uh, so this will be uh, an interesting challenge for them over the next couple of weeks. 
And you mentioned the pitchers they draw in San Diego. The thing about facing the, the Padres is, is any way you stack it up, really, you're going to get their good pitchers. They don't have a, a bad starting pitcher in, in their rotation uh, with, with how well Musgrove and Darvish have been this year. Uh, and, and you know, you mentioned Snell has sort of been the weak link, but we know Snell is a guy who was pitching in the World Series not that long ago. Um, their bullpen has been excellent. They have uh, a 2.85 staff ERA, the only team in the National League better than the Mets. But it does feel like, again, and, and we talked about this uh, last show, but it continues to feel like the Mets' offense is coming around. We've seen more and more from, from Francisco Lindor, more from James McCann. Dominic Smith looks good again. Pete Alonso looks a lot better than he was before the injury. Uh, so am I wrong to feel kind of good? No, I, I mean, like the I wrote uh, for this morning or, or late last night for Wednesday night that, you know, the way the Mets won Wednesday was the way they're going to have to win going forward. And it's getting big offensive contributions from the healthy regulars that they do have. We talked about it, a, a, you know, a week or two ago that if they were going to do well in June, they were going to need uh, Dominic Smith. They're going to need Francisco Lindor. They're going to need James McCann to hit better than they had. Uh, and you've seen that from all three. Like, I, I think I said they need at least one of those guys to do something. Uh, and all three of them uh, had had nice series in Arizona. You know, throw Pete Alonso in there, having come back, and those four guys went 21 for 50. That's a 420 batting average, uh, Ted. So uh, that that's the kind of, of offensive support they need. Those guys, They were 11 for 19 on Wednesday when they needed all seven runs that they scored. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, with... The way the lineup is constructed, you know, you're you're only going to get so much out of uh, Jose Peraza, and you know, Billy McKinney has had a, a nice a nice start for them and, and gives them some some pop at the bottom of the lineup, but is not a guy you want hitting third or fourth on a regular basis the way he had for a couple days. Uh, so if if you've got that middle of the order, if, if you can go, you know, Lindor, Alonzo, Smith, McCann, two, three, four, five, like that. Uh, and and get some production out of it on a consistent basis. That's going to make it a lot easier uh, to pitch your way to wins. Uh, and you're going to need the the depth of your bullpen contributions the way they got yesterday with you know Robert Gazelman uh, leading the way with three and two thirds really good innings, getting multiple innings from both Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro, Edwin Diaz closing it down. You know they're going to have to to they're going to have some bullpen games later in June because of the way the schedule is. They're going to have. Uh, they're going to need those guys, the the Gazelmans, the Drew Smiths, the Jacob Barnes, probably a Sean Reed Foley coming back from AAA to give them good quality innings if they want to win games uh, when they're playing two a day for a little while. Yeah, I was happy to see uh, Rojas go to, to Miguel Castro for multiple innings. I know he's been riding Castro pretty hard in the early part of the season, but so many times it's felt like uh, Castro's been so good that he's gotten through an inning so efficiently that that I, I'm left wondering, you know, why why not bring him back for a second inning? And it's and it seems like Rojas has avoided that to date. And, and if you look back at, at at Castro's history, he is you know he has been by no means exclusively a one inning guy. Uh, when he when he first pitched with the Orioles, he was he was really mostly working in multi inning stints. Did did plenty um, in his later years there as well. So. Um, I don't know. I felt I felt like maybe it feels like Luis Rojas is is loosening a little bit and 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 starting to gain some confidence in himself as a manager. Yeah, I mean, I think there are uh, game contexts that make it more. You know, it, it's easier to throw Miguel Castro for two innings uh, when you you don't have Trevor May available, for instance, or if the game's mm-hmm. tied. You know, you're not doing your usual like Castro seventh, May eighth, Diaz ninth formula. Uh, so they, uh, you know, you, you 
have Miguel bridge that gap to Edwin Diaz uh, himself the way he did uh, on Wednesday. And, and when your your starter gets you one out the way David Peterson did, you kind of have to stretch the bullpen in ways that you, you probably would prefer not to on a regular basis. It is like we talked about it the other day. Uh, it's interesting how they'll use Lugo and how uh, Lugo's presence affects the way they use those other guys. Uh, you know, is Lugo a guy that's going to get set up opportunities where, you know, you give him the seventh and eighth on a consistent basis on a, you know, when he's, when he's available. Uh, and then the other day you give Castro the seventh and May the eighth. And that way everyone stays fresher. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's always easier theoretically to do than practically, but uh, his presence should make it easier. Uh, you, you won't, you won't need Castro in May on a daily basis, the way you did at, at stretches earlier this season. And so when you do use them, you can think about using them for multiple innings. The thing you have tonight uh, on Thursday night uh, is that you've used Diaz back-to-back days. You've used Castro for two innings on Wednesday. You used Lugo for two innings on Wednesday. May has struggled a bit lately. Like, what is the back part of that game look like uh, if you get there with a, a one-run lead? Uh, that that will be an interesting dynamic that Luis Rojas hopes that he has to deal with. Yeah, you mentioned May struggling lately. I was going to say that it, it feels like Seth Lugo came back. Uh, I mean... Obviously, we would have loved to see him back sooner, but came back at a good time because it does feel like uh, it would be probably valuable to back off Trevor May for for just a few days. Like it feels like you know he was another guy who was who was rode real hard in the early part of the season. Yeah, and he's you know he struggled a bit with his slider. You know that's that's a pitch that in in 2019 when he was in Minnesota he had a slider, he had a curveball. Neither one did much for him, and he was able to like basically combine the two. Uh, it had. He was able to throw a pitch that was sharper uh, and harder than the usual curveball, but had that kind of downward bite to it that a curveball has. Uh, so that that had, that was the pitch that kind of made him a, a really good late game reliever. And he, he hasn't had it the last couple of weeks. Uh, you mm-hmm. saw on Tuesday, you know, it was um, the the Josh Reddick. So the walk to Paven Smith, he couldn't throw that slide, couldn't get that slider in the right spot to, to finish off a hitter he got ahead 0 and 2 of. Uh, and then Josh, he, he did throw it uh, in a decent spot. The first pitch to Josh Reddick and Josh Reddick uh, lined it down the down the line, fair or foul, however your perspective is on it uh, for the game winning hit. So that's the pitch that's kind of alluded him to this point. Uh, May said he was, he's been trying to build confidence in it. He, he relied more on his changeup earlier in the year than he's used to. Uh, and Luis Rojas has said, you know, if he's not getting that slider over, he doesn't have that kind of strike credibility with it. Uh, then guys can sit on his fastball and, as good as May's fastball is, he gets a lot of swings and misses up in the zone with it. Uh, that if guys are are tuned into that's the pitch I'm looking for, uh, they can catch up to 97 up in the zone and and hit it a long way. And that's why he's given up some more home runs. You know, his his home run rate is is basically back to what his career norm is at, at the current moment. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, you know, that was his issue in the last couple of years. Uh, and he had he didn't. I think he gave up one home run the first several months of the season and has given up like three in the last couple of weeks. But that that's going to happen to him. Uh, you know, but if he gets that slider over, it, it should uh, limit that to an extent. It's a and it stands out a little bit. You know, it's only three home runs, right? But it stands out because the that's something that I think the Mets have done so well this year is is limit. And I know, uh, you know, some of it is probably just my eyes adjusting to uh, the the new ball a little bit. You know, it feels like the ball is flying out just less often in general. Certainly the Mets have not hit a ton of home runs. Uh, but the bullpen, especially Edwin Diaz, is not allowed a home run yet. Familia, no home runs yet. Uh, Castro is allowed two, but it, it feels like uh, suppressing the long ball has been a big part of what's made this this bullpen pretty valuable. 
Yeah, I'm act- I'd, I'd actually be interested in seeing how that compares across the sport. You know, like the Mets have not given up many home runs. They haven't hit many home runs. So it feels like home runs are down across baseball. And I think, right. and I think they are because we, we've been talking about the, the constitution of the baseball. But I don't really know actually like the extent of it if, if home runs are down, you know, 3%, 8%, 20% for this time, you know, the usual uh, first two months of the season. Uh, so that that is something I should probably look up to contextualize what what the Mets have done as an offense and what their pitching staff has done. Yeah, I was going to say I probably should have looked that up before I asked it of you. But what happened to me was I got very caught up reading about uh, gray uniforms on theathletic.com. <laughs> yeah, so I ranked every team's road gray uniforms because I, you know, I had spent several weeks writing stories and thinking, no, I haven't been yelled at enough on Twitter or in the comments to a story. Or pe- let me t- I, let me take something let, that no I want to one- cut you off. I want to cut you off. Are people yelling at you about this? Because it's so hard to to get that mad about a gray uniform. See, that's what I, I I thought that perhaps by taking something that almost no one has ever voiced a, a harsh opinion about. Uh, or like a really fervent, passionate opinion about in the past that maybe I could write about uniforms without everyone hating everything that I wrote. But no, everyone hates everything that I wrote. <laughs> everyone hates that I, I ranked uh, several American League Central teams towards the top. Uh, the you, Mets you are a known, good ranking. You're a known stand for the American League Central. <laughs> Who doesn't love traveling through uh detroit and cleveland yeah. rust built america a, baby yeah in a for a june road trip um i you know i i would i i don't i don't know the, to me so the kansas city royals number one i, I would say that felt like I, I was a little out of nowhere i just i i don't know that like anything especially notable uh, i've noticed about the royals road grays they're fine that i look at them um but for the most part i i i liked the list and i and i uh, appreciated uh, ranking the Mets number three of a, a, a great pull for the Mets, I think, and and uh, really a, a testament to the classiness. You know, I think that they're to me the Mets road grays look a lot nicer than than whatever they've got going on at home. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're the Mets nicest uniforms. I actually wrote this uh, last year. We did a, a, a the the Athletic did like the New York writers talking about how they felt about the city's uniforms. I thought the Mets road grays uh, were the nicest for a New York team uh, because other people would write about the Yankees pinstripes and all that. Um, and they, you know, they're so much better now that they've dropped the drop shadow on them that prevented them from wearing the blue hats with them. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's just. You know, it's a it's a nice, classy look. I, you know, the pinstripes at home are, are also nice. Uh, I think they're they're good uniforms. The Mets, I think, overall have a, a pretty good set. The blue alternates, I have no problem with. I like the road ones more than the home ones. They don't really wear the home ones much. I don't think they have yet this season, and they only wore them like, twice I, last year. I really like the road alternate hat with like the gray. And and I'm sort of a traditionalist about Mets hats, but I lo- I like the look with the with the silver center to the to the Mets logo. Yeah, I think it's. It's a nice subtle thing like teams used to I think in the late 90s uh, teams did like the college thing where they started wearing gray hats on the road. Yeah, the the, did it with the, the white hat at home, uh, but like the, the Pirates, Pirates, the Royals. The Pirates, the Royals, and uh, there was another team that did it. Uh, the Rockies did it for a little while. I yeah, think. Uh, and uh, like that was too much, I think, going the full gray top. But to have like just a little gray logo with the orange outline, you know, it throws back to what the Mets did in the 80s. They had the the blue alternates with the the Mets in gray on the road uh 
it's just a, a nice little subtle thing to be like hey we're on the road this is how you know which is mm-hmm. why uh, i made a big stink about like put your city name on your road jersey that's that's a difference that was a that was a point i was going to bring up that i'm very much aligned with you on is that it, it it seems so clear to me that you should be when you're at home you wear your nickname on the on the jersey because that is how because your home fans know who they're seeing and wh- what city they're in when you are on the road and i know it's 2021 and and everyone knows where these teams are coming from at this point but when you're on the road you're you're representing your your home your team's home city and to me that should be on the front of the jersey yeah, I mean, it's. I think the only team that, that can maybe get away with it is Philadelphia because that's a lot of letters. Uh, uh, you know, it's and I, 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 yeah, I, I feel that way in uh, most sports. Uh, I guess, I guess, in the NBA, you don't have teams that put their uh, city name on the road jerseys as often. Well, they don't even have road jerseys anymore, uh, so I don't even know how to approach the NBA's weird uniform. Mm-hmm. convoluted schedule and all that uh so i'll just excise that from the conversation uh yeah, we'll like, uh, post, yeah. <laughs> the, you know the, the phillies the the rays who ranked last because the, the, we've talked about like the tb logo for for tim Britton and ted berg does not cut it you like the tb logo actually right i like i'm good with the hat i don't love i don't love the jersey i think that i just it feels like a missed potential the whole rays set feels like they're so close and and they're just they just like haven't quite hit it yet looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish visit directtv.com high speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply I, I just feel like if they did this in green instead of navy there are so many teams that are navy yeah, uh and way too many na- teams navy and gray look it's a classic look i wore it a lot in high school uh territory <laughs> that's my that's that's my yeah that's those are my yeah. colors uh but you know it's it's not the most uh doesn't doesn't pop too much so i think that's why you know I, several teams that had orange in them rated highly for me because orange you know it, it looks good on gray it, it pops a bit more uh so uh I, I wish the rays you know the uniforms they had uh when they were green and they had tampa bay on the front and uh the little ray darting across those were better i like so more. i love the light blue color that is in their their color scheme and i feel like is underused and i feel like they that should be on the hat like they could go like ucla sort of maybe with some navy blue accents I just think would be a much better look. And and like you said, it's just to me, it is about uh, how many teams wear blue, either royal blue or navy blue. It's like every freaking team. And so that brings me to an important point, um, we, because these are two points of contention I had with your ranking, is that you're pretty far down 
on the Colorado Rockies. And I, I, to me, I just, I love the Rockies uniforms. I like, uh, I don't like the black, like sleeveless thing that they wear a lot, but I, I love their gray uniforms. Uh, I liked the road pinstripes when they had them. Um, and I respect, first of all, that they are the purple team. Um, and also that they're really the only of the nineties expansion teams. They're the only ones who've just stuck with their look. And I think it's held up well. Yeah, I think they probably had the best look of those. I mean, certainly the the Diamondbacks and Devil Rays did not have good looks when they came into the league. The Marlins uh, have have modulated modulated their use of teal uh, after a long stretch. Uh, the like they've gotten the the color the shade of purple right. I as you can tell from the ranks, I really dislike pinstripes on the road. I don't think they work uh, in general. Like the Rockies had them for a while. The Twins had them for uh, a generation. Uh, the Diamondbacks had them briefly. Uh, the Padres have them now, and those jerseys, which I, I really disliked when they came out with them, look better to me now than they did then, but I still prefer when they just wear their brown uh, because that's that's the color they should wear. Uh, uh, the, see, the, I, that was that was my second point of contention. Is that I, I love those. I love the Padres, the pinstriped grays. I think those look great. Yeah, like I'll, I'll see them uh, next week uh, when they come to City Field uh, in person, uh, which is, you know, is a different experience, but I, I think they're fine. Uh, but I would just prefer, you know, they, they were in the tier of like, I want you to wear your alternate Jersey instead. Uh, and that is true for them. I think they're Brown uniforms with the, I guess, are they calling them sand pants? The sand pants, uh, look is their best look out of the, the three new ones that they have. Well, and that makes for a fine transition to the last point or, or discussion I wanted to make on the topic of road uniforms. And, and you sort of alluded to it, and it's outside the scope of this column, certainly, because you set out to rank gray uniforms and you rank the gray uniforms. But uh, there has been a recent trend uh, returning to something that we saw in the late or we didn't see because we weren't watching baseball. Then I saw some of it in the in the 80s. But uh the, the return of, of powder blue uniforms, uh, we've seen a little bit. Now, what bugs me about that is that it used to be powder blue road uniforms, and, and some of the teams, I think the Phillies especially, have now taken on the powder blues for home, and that bothers me a little bit. But where where are you on the powder blue as a road uh, scheme instead of like, replacing the gray? I think it's okay for... Teams, to, I don't want to see the entire league in powder blue. I think it's something mm -hmm. that if it works with your color scheme, you can go with it. You know, like the Mets never went to powder blue. No, the it Mets would make no ridiculous sense. in powder blue. Uh, there, there are certain teams that you know, like the Royals, it worked with with their color scheme. Uh, the the Expos, who I believe were the first team to go with powder blue when they came in in, in 1969. I don't know if anyone, maybe, maybe the Seattle Pilots also used it in '69 uh, for their single season. Uh, so then the Brewers became uh, the team that had it because they just basically <laughs> took right. the pilot's uniform inventory and kept it and rearranged some letters. Like the reason the E's were lowercase was because that was how the pilots had it. Um, <laughs> Seattle, not there's no E in pilots. Um, so I think I think there are teams where it could work. Like the uh, the Cardinals powder blues, I think look really nice, and, and yeah. they show that you can have St. Louis on a jersey and it looks good. The S and L could both hang off the bat if they wanted. Uh, so I, I'm okay with certain teams doing it. I think like it would be fine with me if certain teams wore their alternate jersey most of the time on the road. The Pirates, black jerseys. They, they've worn black in the past as their road uniform uh, in the 70s when they were really good. I think their black uniforms are quite sharp now with the script. Uh, that, that would be fine with me. The Brewers Navy jerseys are really nice. Uh, I think it's weird that what the Phillies are doing because... 
So you, you do a throwback uniform. You want your home fans to see it, but you throw back to your road uniform. Uh, it's very odd. And I love, and you're, you're not, you said you're not someone who pines for that uniform. I love that old Phillies uniform. Because I, again, it's a different color, right? It's maroon. There's no maroon team. The, the first time that, I, my first Little League team where we had the actual uniform uh, of, um, you know, like instead of just a t-shirt that said the league name, we had like a uniform that said our team name. I was on the Phillies in like second grade. Uh, but it was it was a dark maroon jersey because the league did not like refresh its uniform stock year after year, uh, and it had the bright red <laughs> current Phillies hat. So we just we were the worst dressed team in the league because we had. A, I've always thought the red is a little too bright and the dark red is a little too dark. Yeah, uh, I hate so that. I, the Phillies. The Phillies current uniforms, I hate. I, it, it looks like a, it looks like I don't know. It looks like something from. Like, a, I've heard this comment made about the Marlins, but, uh, like, it looks like something from, like, a, a video game that is, like, very poorly rendered. It's just so, um, I don't know, it's, like, weirdly old-timey, but not in a classy way. It just, I, I hate it. And and it's not just because it's the Phillies, because, like, I don't have strong feelings about the Nationals or Braves uniforms, other than, the, the obviously, the imagery that the Braves are going to get rid of at some point. Yeah, I, th- I think the Phillies, it's it, the the pinstripes seem a little bright, and then the the name and, and number font is a little too close to Comic it's like Sans. Comic Sans, yeah, yeah, it's horrible, horrible. It's just like, what are you doing? And especially when you have that maroon in in your past, it just seems like such a natural thing to go back to. Would you be? What if? So we talk about powder blue. What if teams incorporated? And this is something. And I know I feel like you're going to be conservative about this, but for me, I'm all about pushing the envelope. I think that like. I just, I think I have such a strong distaste for the idea of being in uniform for any reason that like I want the uniforms to be as different as possible. Well, where would you stand if like the Rockies went came out with like a powder purple, like a lavender road color? Uh, Why are you laughing? I think that would be dope. <laughs> I, I would be intrigued. Um, you know, I, I did suggest that they should just put Dinger on their uniforms because <laughs> yeah. why not? Uh, <laughs> Dinger is... is my favorite non-Mr. Met mascot. Uh, not, he's my favorite non-baseball head mascot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued in pushing the envelope. I'd have to see what it looks like. I can't conceptualize what lavender looks like in a in like a full outfit, all lavender, lavender shirt, lavender pants. Amazing. Uh, I it would look amazing. Uh, uh, it would look uh, so cool. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by your ideas, and I, want, I would like to sign up for your newsletter. <laughs> Fantastic! I really got to start a newsletter. Um, at last, la- and to the same point, I would, and I'm guessing you were down on them, but I liked, I liked the when the Diamondbacks had the like the charcoal gray road uniforms. Where were you on that? Uh, the 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 charcoal was bad. They were. I, 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 I called it. them. I called them maybe the worst road uniforms in the worst road gray uniforms in the history of the sport. Uh, but that was all, like. It wasn't just that they went charcoal. It was they had the weird diamond pattern that made them look darker, and that they like the lettering and the numbers were not bright enough to right. offset the chart. Like the whole thing was dark, so nothing stood out. Like you can have a charcoal road uniform. You just need to understand that the rest of the uniform is charcoal when you're designing the the, the other elements uh, to make them stand out differently. So I, I did not like them. I thought the, the Diamondbacks current uniforms, which are not not great. But the ones that do incorporate teal, I really like. Uh, they didn't wear them at all this week. But like the home uniforms, the home whites that have the teal number, I think that's the best look the Diamondbacks have ever had. And they, they just don't wear it enough. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that, and, and I will accept that explanation for the the charcoal thing. I thought that just the charcoal itself was cool. I didn't especially love that set of uniforms, um, which also, if you'll recall, and I don't know if they went with it forever, but at the very beginning, they had like on the pants, it looked like there were like there were like splashes up the back of the legs, and one of them was red. And so the first time you saw the Diamondbacks come out and like the, the pants with like red splatter on there, he's like, have the Diamondbacks been like stomping around in, in blood? What is going on here? Um, that was a weird, that was a weird choice. But I, I don't know. I like, again, I just support anyone trying anything like Nathan Hirsch, uh, who asked us on Twitter, went far out with a, with a, with a listener question this week. I feel like I'm killing the segues. Uh, <laughs> Um, Nathan wants to know if you could clone Jacob deGrom eight times, I'm going to question eight, but clone him eight times and have him play all nine positions and bat one through nine. Would that team make the playoffs? Would it win the world series? He says he allows the offense would be weak, but probably enough to score a run or two. So there's a, there's a difference between cloning him eight times and cloning him 25 times. Um, a huge difference because I think 25 times, I think maybe yes it makes the playoffs and eight times i don't because i don't think you have enough because you if you need a bowl and assuming not all nine degroms can pitch every day and you i'm you know like you can't just rotate which nine guys you have then i, I don't know i just i i don't i don't see it i feel like they're there's they're too thin on jacob degroms right you can't take the jacob degrom who throws the first seven innings of the game and put him at first base uh, for it's the rest of the exhausting. game and then take yeah. take the jacob degrom who started at second base on monday and start him on tuesday uh, i think if, if we're operating under the i mean look we're all setting our own rules here um if we're operating under the the principle that that you need a 26 man roster to get through this uh then nine jacob degroms and 17 other dudes the 17 other dudes would not uh if they're replacement level bullpen and, and bench well, I just think you would much rather have then if the, if you had nine Jacob Degroms, you would just make that your pitching staff, right? And you would and and then get get other guys to play the field and 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 bat. Yeah, so let let's take it as a more interesting question of twenty six Jacob Degroms. So you've got you know every inning is going to be pitched by Jacob Degrom, but every at bat is going to be taken by Jacob Degrom. Uh, and I think um, the you know the defense would not be terrible. Uh, I think people. I was going to say. I think no, I don't. You know, I don't. I actually, I think that he would be. I don't think he would be like a major league average shortstop, just because major league shorts average shortstops are exceptionally good. But you don't think Jacob Degrom would be like a a plus third baseman or second baseman? I don't know that he'd be plus. I think he could probably. Yeah, I think he'd be slightly below average at shortstop. You know, it it depends on how much time we've we've got time. We've got it. We've got a spring training. We've okay, got a full spring training. Nathan training didn't set this out. I've decided we have a full spring training to to iron out all of our Jacob Degroms. Yeah, and so, and so you know the position that he played well in college, the position that could have gotten him drafted. You know that that he was not that far off from being uh, a like potentially good major league defender at was shortstop. And if you're good at shortstop, you can be good at other positions. Uh, catcher would probably be the hardest one for him. Uh, oh, but he'd have a gun, right? Like, who's going to run on Jacob DeGrom? It's like, I'm going to 102 with tail to the second baseman. They're going to break hands. Uh, so maybe by the end of the season, the defense would, would be fine. But I think it, it would be a, a process. There'd be some some misreads in, in the outfield, probably. No way. Uh, so your, your pitching staff, if, I mean, if we're operating under 2021 numbers, you would give up less than a run per nine innings. Um, so you do you do fine, and your, your lineup would be hitting 450. 
if you take a larger sample and say, okay, he's going to pitch to uh, around a two ERA because his ERA since 2018 is just below two. So you give up two runs a game. Uh, your OPS plus in that time is, I believe, 44 for DeGrom. Uh, so you'd have to find ways to score three runs uh, a game with uh, a, an offense that had a 44 OPS plus. Uh, I think that's a team that probably goes like 85 and 77 um, is my guess. But, you know, yeah, there, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's, there's a probably, way to, yeah, there's probably enough games uh, where he shuts you out uh, <laughs> or. Uh, gives up just the one run that you, you can sneak by scoring two with, with some consistency. The thing with DeGrom is that he's not like, you know, there are those really good pitchers who have uh, three ERAs at the end of the year and they'll throw like three shutouts, but also have, you know, their handful of starts where they get, get blown up a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, like James Shields, I feel like, was that right. way during his his prime. Big game James. But uh, DeGrom is, doesn't have those like games where he goes six and gives up four that often. Like he had what three in the start of 2019 and that's all I can and, remember. And when it happens, you're like, Oh, oh what's happening? Oh no, something's wrong. Uh, so, so he's more consistently giving up just the zero one or two, uh, that, uh, keeps you in games and, and makes this like, it's, it's plausible that, that they could could win games that way i'm trying to like the only other play like shohei otani would obviously be the one guy you'd want 26 of right yeah i was gonna say this was Um, a much more fun thing to discuss before shohei otani existed on the major league landscape because he is just so obviously the choice for the clone army scenario but beyond that uh i'm not sure if there's any position player who you you know even mike trout or mookie Betts or guys who are uh, awesome position players and really good in a lot of different ways. Uh, I don't, I don't know that you could survive with them pitching consistently. Uh, you know who would have been great at this? Desi Relaford. Desi Relaford would have been a great, a great player to have throughout because he could pitch. See, I would be interested. I'm sure that someone smarter than me and with access to more stats can figure this out. I would think that you know because there's a there's a lower limit to run scoring. Like Jacob Degrom's never gonna allow negative runs in a game right like that's that would be impossible so and and because even the most dominant pitchers in baseball still allow two runs a game as as Degrom has in the past three years and that's otherworldly dominance um whereas there is no upper limit to to run scoring I don't know like I wonder if a team full of Mike Trout's healthy Mike Trout's with with like 450 on base percentages if they're just going to, because a certain number of hard hit balls are just going to be outs no matter what. So like, would Major League, I guess, except yes, I think that Major League hitters would probably hit like Mike Trout off Mike Trout. And so that's, that's your answer, right? So, you know, so, so then it would just be a bunch of like 14, 13 games, but probably, yeah, you're probably right. Like you, um, DeGrom, certainly for being such a good defender as a pitcher, such a good athlete, and relatively such a good hitter for by pitching standards. Also, I feel like just like cagey, like he's just got that guile that he's going to figure out ways to beat you. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, outside of Otani, he's a really good choice. Yeah, this this might be a, a something I try to to dive into more in depth in like the off season when uh, I'm not covering games regularly. Is how good would a team of 26 Jacob Degroms be uh, based off his numbers over different periods of time? Um, because yeah, like it's you can imagine him like laying down squeeze bunts to score because uh, he's <laughs> to score a different Degrom from third uh, because of his athleticism. Uh, it's you know it's too bad that Cloming Tech 
cloning technology is, is just not far enough along at the current moment to think about this more more seriously. Is it too well, bad? That's probably a good thing. Because I think you'd have to clone like a fetal Jacob deGrom. <laughs> and then so you'd have to wait 25 years or so to and like for deGrom, you'd have to wait 31 years to get him at, at this good. Um, and, and you'd have to recreate the entire, you know, you'd have to like, you know, he's Jacob deGrom, but you can't let him pitch in college because the, this Jacob deGrom didn't pitch in college or didn't until, you know, was it was a closer and a shortstop. Uh, so it's a, that's a very, it's a very difficult thing to navigate, uh, for sure. But I would, if this is, if we work out cloning, this is the type of thing I would like to see, because I would love to imagine what it would be like to be a major league hitter. And see the manager coming out to the mound to, to pull Jacob DeGrom. The manager is also Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> and you look out to the bullpen, and who's out there? It's two Jacob DeGroms. Would, uh... Look right would, past would it... right fielder Jacob DeGrom at the bullpen, where, like, the bullpen coach and the bullpen catcher are all Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> would any of them throw left-handed with, like, I, I don't know science well enough? Would, like, there be, like, a weird cloning mutation where, like, oh, this one came out and threw lefty? Or you, well, you, you, I mean, you if you're starting condition from youth, one to throw lefty, yeah, I think if you're starting from youth, because like Billy Wagner famously was not was not left-handed, right? right? He was just like, and it's a weird thing if you've ever tried, if you were right-handed, if you ever tried throwing left-handed, it feels so horribly unnatural. But it is the same muscles that you're using, and so like I know, I think that you, it's you, Darvish, I think, and and uh, we we all know, you know, Ichiro Suzuki did a lot of batting practice right-handed. Um, and I believe you Darvish can throw in the eighties, uh, with his, with his alternate hand. And, and because I think that that is like, um, more, I I'm, I'm, I don't know that the, I, I, this is something like I, I re- remember reading about a lot, like someone hypo- hypothetically talking about a, a wrong-handed Darvish facing a wrong-handed Suzuki. Um, and so I assume that is because it is more part of the, the training in, in Japan, but I don't know that for sure and don't want to like cast, make assumptions. Um, but I know that it is like. That is something that there are some people who like. If you have the capacity to throw 100 righty, if you start from a young enough age, I think that because it's just about like your your quick twitch explosiveness and such, you would be able to throw really hard lefty just from training it. Yeah, like I'm watching Pat Venditti strike out the side, like one guy righty, two guys lefty, uh, in one inning in a minor league game several years ago. This is like the first time I saw Pat Venditti. Uh, and after the game, one of the players who struck out in the the clubhouse, this was in Pawtucket, just goes like, they should give that guy the Cy Young. That was the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> I don't care that it's the minor leagues. I don't care that I'm the guy he struck out. Like that, you should get the Cy Young for that inning alone at whatever level you pitch. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's and that's like kind of like the thing with Otani, right? It's like this guy's got to be the MVP because he can do both things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's. He would be the most interesting player on. Well, he is. He's still more interesting than Trout, but Trout is so close to, to him and how how good and how fun he is to watch for a fourth place Angels team. Are they in, are they even in fourth? They might be in fifth. They're in fourth. They're in, thank, thankfully they have the Texas Rangers uh, coming up behind them. But yeah, it is uh, as a big Mike Trout fan and Trout's Trout's hurt now, which has become like sort of the other frustrating thing with with Trout is that he is uh, he has been you know missing more and more time over the past few years, but. Uh, yeah, man, is it is it frustrating that the Angels can't ever seem to be good? And it's not it's what it's extra frustrating because it's not even like for a lack of financial commitments really. Like it's just they've just been doing the wrong thing for so very long. Uh, but that is far from the topic of of this podcast, which is the New York Mets, who have you as you've mentioned have a a tough part of the schedule coming up. And you and I, I assume, will be back 
with some some discussions of this schedule. Yeah, we'll be back after the San Diego series, so we'll see how the Mets uh, survive this this first real challenge uh, at Petco Park. This is this was always like a series that, regardless of how how the Padres were, the Mets would lose three out of four, all by a score of two to one. When I was when, when like I remember watching them in college and stuff in in '06 and '07, it seemed like they they always had a tough uh, trip through San Diego, and I always. I always wanted I wanted the Mets to avoid playing the Padres in like the 06 playoffs. I, I feared San Diego in that NLCS much more than I feared St. Louis, which my bad. My yeah, bad. yeah. That, well, so we now we know where to, you know, for all this all this time we've been blaming Carlos Beltran. Um, Tim, we, as as mentioned, we will be back. If you have a question for the show, um, as Nathan did, he, he asked us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim is at Tim Britton. Uh, if you don't have Twitter or you have a longer question than, than 280 characters, you can email me at asktedberg at gmail.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on, on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And Tim, peace out. Adios. Adios.